Christopher and I, and all of us at TDPS, are still grieving the loss of my dear friend and our beloved premier party person, Anne Rice. But my mother's literary legacy gave birth to a diverse and wonderful community of readers and fans who continue to celebrate her work online. We invite you to join them on the Facebook page dedicated to Anne's legacy. That's where you'll receive the latest updates on new editions of her work and all the exciting changes coming to the AnneRice.com website. Also on the Anne Rice Facebook page, you can join the mailing list to receive all the latest news and information about her forthcoming celebration of life in New Orleans. That's at facebook.com slash Anne Rice fan page, no spaces. If you believe, as we do, that Anne's work is as immortal as her characters, then join us at Anne Rice fan page on facebook.com. See you there. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Wow. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And it's our 200th episode, Eric Shaw Quinn. 200th. Cue the special effects. I think you meant sound effect when you said that, not special <laughs> effects. I hope people are not expecting their phones to levitate it as they listen. It was pretty special. It was pretty low. It was worth waiting 200 episodes. Oh, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't go that far. Brandon's good, but he's not that good. Well, we're really good, so it wasn't like they didn't get anything else in the bargain except <laughs> the special effect. We did do 200 fucking shows. We did. And boy, do we have a doozy of a true crime story picked oh, out for this one. Oh, my God. It is truly a crime, too, Al. I'll tell ya. So this is I'll the, say, I'll say. This is the last episode. Pardon me, Froghorn. This is the last episode of our back to school sequence. I don't want to call it a month because when we do that, our party people point out that our episodes, our sequences don't actually f- fall to match the month exactly on the calendar. We just do four episodes four of one thing. Four weeks is still a month. It is. We did. We had to marinate in horrible tales of child abuse for a month to do the back-to-school segment, I would guess you would I call. guess it was unavoidable. I didn't really see this coming when we picked the back-to-school theme. I had this sort of more upbeat, hopeful, anything is possible. I forgot that it was a true crime it's show. It's a true crime so, show. Yeah, what were you thinking we were going to I was do? thinking I got focused on, caught up in back-to-school, which is all about potential. You and thought it was going to be all Veronica Mars sidling crimes in her high crimes. school. I just, yeah. yeah, it was really... this 
wasn't where I thought we would go with this particular. And it's been, yeah, it's been darker than I thought because it's crimes against children because I it's know. back to school, which really upsets me. So, yeah. And I mean, crimes against everybody is still pretty bad. But children bad. is just, oh, my God, I just okay. hate it. So we decided to do the mother of all back to school true yeah, crime God stories. teacher. Mary Kay Letourneau. Notes on a Scandal. That's the name of the documentary we are serving up for you today. It is streamable here in the U.S. on Max and possibly on other platforms. It is. It's yeah. available on Discovery. Yeah. That I watched this all of this month on Discovery. And as a result, it's probably also available on Discovery ID, the free app where you can watch with commercials. So if you want to watch... Great. If you don't, we're going to tell you all about it and spoil absolutely everything that's absolutely in it. Absolutely everything. And uh, so either come back to us or watch it spoiled. It's entirely up to you or don't watch it. I Whatever. Okay. So I'm going to I'm gonna do a weird lead in here because this is an hour and a half. It's, it's a feature length documentary. So it had a lot of runway, if you will. Um, I was worried <laughs> when it started that the focus of the entire special was going to be the subject that they introduced right away, which is one of Mary Kay Letourneau's childhood friends, Michelle Lobdell, who knew her when they were young women in Newport Beach. And I went, uh-oh, are we just going to be hearing Michelle's version of events because she's got a book to sell? And it eventually begins to, there's a lot of Michelle and her take on how Mary Kay became Mary Kay. But it eventually comes to include some other voices along the way. What is, what's that friend's name of 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 uh, Jordan Ampersand, his girlfriend's? <laughs> Natalia. Natalia. This mm. is how I picture Natalia. Yes. Michelle's, if Michelle has an agenda here, it's not clear other than to keep the camera on Michelle for a while. Oh, my God. She is so... A lot of the girls I have met from yes. that particular part of the world. I don't dislike them at all. No. She's, I actually think I would like Michelle, but she is very of a piece. She is very a type that I am familiar with from this part of the world. Um, I was concerned that we were going to get an apologia for Mary Kay Letourneau. Wow, that did That's not turn not out what to happened. be the case. No. Not what happened. Uh, so, but Michelle is here to tell us what Mary Kay was like as a young woman. And I didn't know any of this about Mary Kay's background that she came from a political family in Southern California, that her father ran for president. He was a California state senator who ran for president uh, with the morality party. Is that what they were called? Let me, I'm getting ahead of my notes here. Excuse me, but it was like the American family party or something like that, but their platform was morality. Uh, Mary Kay had a boyfriend named P.J. Kiley, who, to his credit, shows a picture of him when he was younger. And then we see him now, considerably older. And while he's a handsome man now, he was quite handsome when he was younger. Yes, and may have had a career on um, at uh, Treasure Island Media. <laughs> I'm not able to say that for certain, but there's some, enough resemblance to enough people who Please star in that particular. Please Google that advisedly if you don't know what we're talking <laughs> Do about. Do not look up Treasure Island Media unless you're ready to really see it all. Trigger warning. Yes. Barebacking. Okay, that's all we're going to say. At least. Yes. At the very least, barebacking. There's Christopher, I have a children. lot of tattoos and gender issues and yeah. all kinds of interesting piercings. It's a lot going on at Treasure Island Media. That's why I picked it. This guy had a lot of tattoos and piercings and strange hair, and he... 
what didn't look, you know, like horrible. He was no, nice enough looking surfer man. guy. He was a surfer guy. He but, was a surfer guy then, and he was a surfer guy now. And surfer guys now don't look like they did then. No, because they've lived hard, and that's <laughs> yes. how he looks. It looks like he'd lived kind of hard successfully and was doing okay. But like there was some, there was definitely some um, patina on this one. That's gonna be the tombstone. He lived successfully hard. Uh huh. Treasure Island Media. Okay. Um, Mary Kay would get dropped off at school in a Mercedes Benz, which was unheard of then, even in Newport Beach, Orange County. Which I do not believe for a not a minute. minute. It's Orange County. It's the land of Mercedes Benz. Are you kidding? Like a Maybach, maybe. So we're introduced to Linda Byron, who's an investigative reporter who immediately enters the camera looking more objective than Michelle. (laughs) She's like, she's behind a table. She has decisive hand gestures. She speaks in proclamations. She's going to give us some hard facts. So uh, Mary Kay's father was charismatic. As we said, he ran for president. That was in 1972. He portrayed himself as the king of morality. And here is my beautiful family. And we are religious and he absolutely adored Mary Kay, even though he had multiple children. And his nickname for her was Cake, which is gross. That's a gross nickname for your child. I don't care. I'm going to judge you. Cake as a nickname for a child doesn't work for I me. actually kind of like it. I think it's horrible. Okay. It's the first sign of something going very wrong in Mary Kay's life. Um Michelle, the friend, tells us that the mother, she just goes all in on Mary Kay's mother. hates her mother. Hates Mary Kay's mother. Stern, cold, unapproachable, a social climber. Mm. Never does anything remotely maternal. She says the biggest tragedies in Mary's life were the things she talked about the least. And there is an incident where the kids were apparently tasked with keeping an eye on each other. And Mary, at age 11 was asked to watch her toddler-age brother, Philip, and he fell into the pool and drowned, and her mother told her in no uncertain terms that his death was her fault. The parents are hardline Catholics. (laughs) The parents are hardline Catholics. No sex outside marriage, allegedly. No contraception, allegedly. And no sex education. In fact, her mother... (laughs) Her mother pulls her out of sex ed class in school, which gets Mary Kay a reputation as having a crazy mother. And Mary Kay is simultaneously going boy crazy and relishing the adoration of young men. She easily moves from one relationship to the next and is referred to as a party girl. That's like a term from the 50s and the 60s, right? Like my grandparents referred to people as being party girls, right? Have you ever heard this term, party girl? Oh, my God. Are you kidding? Yeah. it's That's Pretty current. I, it's I code for slut is what it is. It's, being a party girl is yeah. They're trying to slut shame someone but behind polite language. I have to say, you don't hear that frequently even now. I don't know if it means the same thing. Oh well, now I don't know about the implied meaning. I think there is a whole sense of shame around being a slut that probably doesn't exist as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Like Good. there was probably a time when people gave a shit if you had sex with a bunch of people. I, I don't think this is that time. This is not that time. People don't seem to care at all. You can pay a porn star to not tell anybody that you fucked around with her while your wife was pregnant and still run for president. So yeah. I don't think people actually care about that sort of thing anymore. That's correct. But in 1982, if you were a family values senator and it turned out you were cheating on your wife, I think with one of his staffers. That's a different. See, if he hadn't brought it up, he would have been able to carry it off. But even then, it would have been a little dicey, but it wouldn't have been quite the death toll until he ran as the 
king of morality. morality. And he had fathered children by this mistress. Yeah, that's pretty... Um, yeah, that's pretty um, it for your political career, at least in that party. Okay, so this is apparently— <laughs> Maybe you switch to the Democratic Party and still run. Uh, Michelle says, this is the moment when Mary Kay began to change irreparably, and the family's facade fell apart. She goes off to college. She goes to Arizona State University. It's now 1983. She's 21 years old. She decides she wants to be a teacher. She meets handsome Steve Letourneau, and he is handsome. They show pictures. She had a type— which is weird because <laughs> none of it tracks with what eventually happened. Nothing has anything to do with what later happened. But, yeah, she married a nice-looking man um, who she met at college. There was seemed to be a bit of a rush around her getting married. I'm not sure if she was pregnant. It wasn't made clear. Yes, but let's—this testimony is coming from her friend Michelle, who goes all in on Steve and says that he wasn't up to her level because Mary Kay has demonstrated to herself to be an enormous brain trust at this point. Like, what's wrong with Steve? Why is she immediately attacking Steve? From what I can remember of the case as I'm watching this documentary, Steve doesn't end up committing any crimes. Mary Kay commits a lot. Yeah. So I'm like, why is Steve being shit on this early on? Um, but yeah, she's pregnant. Well, I think it's some kind of, I think the friend is trying to come up with some sort of, for herself as much as anybody, some sort of explanation of why Mary Kay would get her car going up to full speed and drive it directly off that cliff. Right. Like it's just, it's just hard to imagine anybody making those kinds of completely life-destroying choices mm -hmm. that are so un inarguably wrong. Right. Um, and you, you're looking for some kind of explanation and the friend and Mary Kay and everybody is looking for Every explanation except the obvious one. Exactly. So she and Steve get married. She's pregnant, I think, as you just pointed out. They moved to Anchorage, Alaska first, and then they settle in Seattle by the year 1990. Because they, they saw Anchorage and went, oh, no. <laughs> get the car. <laughs> they move into, we just lost our one Alaskan listener, Eric Chocolate. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Alaska. <laughs> I'm sorry, Alaska. But no, listen, it doesn't always go that way because we have Amy Bellino, and she she loves it when we trash Florida. She's our Florida correspondent. She's the Florida. Yeah. Correspondent. Okay. Yeah, she's amazing. And I actually think Alaska is probably a beautiful place. Oh, gorgeous, but, yeah. But I would think that would be a challenging place to go be a young couple. So they moved to a neighborhood called Normandy Park in a wooded area right along Puget Sound outside Seattle. Let's go. Seattle's gorgeous. Yeah. We love Seattle. And it's Seattle. kind of the, probably pretty much the same as Anchorage, to be perfectly fair. Right. Um, we now interview a neighbor and fellow school teacher of theirs who chooses to be anonymous. We hear her voice, but we see her, and we see her tea kettle shadow on the wall <laughs> and her tea kettle and her from behind and down the hallway. I'm like, maybe like I see her hair. Is that a wig? Like, I don't know how anonymous this Such is. Such a weird thing to do, but okay, sure. Um, she later tells us she wants to be anonymous because she stuck by Mary Kay throughout everything that followed, and there were enormous social repercussions for her and her family for doing so, and she right. doesn't want to but bring But she felt back. like she was a friend, and she acted like a friend because that's you, you stick up for your friends. She didn't run around leading campaigns about how she was innocent and a, a innocent victim in all this, but she didn't abandon her, which— yeah. I, that seems like a reasonable friendship thing to do. Steve is working as a baggage handler at SeaTac Airport. They don't have a lot of money, but they soon have four children. 
They're doing something they describe as tag team parenting, which is they're rarely together with the kids at the same time. Steve works nights. She works days as a school teacher, but she somehow always manages to look amazing. She, yeah, I think was there was a part of that part of the story where I was like, there seemed like there was more money available than some other source of money, given that as their employment record mm-hmm. for them to live where they lived, yeah, in the style that they lived, and for her to look and dress and appear the way that she did, there was there was another source of income. Well, and there's also a huge gulf between where they live and where she's teaching, and they do a lot about that in the special. She's teaching at a school called Shorewood Elementary in North Seattle, which is depicted as a very diverse neighborhood. They right. interview two uh, a married couple from the neighborhood who also turn out to be the neighbors of the child that she abuses. I'm not sure we can put it any other way. I absolutely don't Um, think there is any other way to put it. uh, And they describe the fact that, and that child is from a Samoan family. Uh, He's first generation in the Pacific Northwest. His mother is working a series of dead-end jobs to support him. The father doesn't appear to be in his life. The family is from difficult financial circumstances, and he is attending the school where Mary Kay teaches. So right away, we're hearing the same dynamic we heard a few episodes ago when we talk about sexual abusers. Because this is a textbook case. Yes. Like, how she looks and where she's from and whatever creates a lot of distraction. Mm-hmm. But this is a textbook case of pedophilia. This is a pedophiliac or whatever it is. A, what do you call a pedophile? A pedophile. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th. Along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring, it's available wherever ebooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. So we are in uh, we're at Shorewood Elementary in North Seattle. This is where Mary Kay Letourneau is teaching, and this is where she is going to meet a child named Villy. Uh, Villy is a good kid. He's artistically talented. He climbs a tree to save his neighbor's cat. Um, he's apparently a talented artist, and in the opinion of his neighbors, Dean and Carrie Meyer, his sketches have an edgy and sophisticated quality with a talent beyond his years. His father is in prison. His mother's working a series of jobs, as I said earlier, to support the family. Mary Kay becomes his teacher in second grade. Which gave my heart the moment. That's I, when they met. I almost, my heart almost stopped. That's when they met. Second grade. I don't know if, I don't know if it's, I may be jumping the gun and you may have included it in your notes, but one of the things that somebody said of Villy pretty much early on that really stuck with me is I wonder who he would have turned out to be mm-hmm. if it hadn't been for this of this thing, this horrible thing happening mm-hmm. to him in his life. 
that said, the special goes on to interview other classmates of Mary Kay's who describe her as being a good teacher. Other pedof- pedophile victims who she was grooming. Yeah. She gets the classroom a cat. She's all about, let's do fun things after class. Let's go and do stuff together. Let's have completely inappropriate adult-level relationships. Let me confide in you about my relationship with my mm-hmm. husband. Like, to everything about her relationship with these children is wrong, and they don't see it because they still remember her as being their favorite teacher. Right. Even now. Right. Even after everything has gone down, right. because she looked like that, she sounded like that, and because she was really good at hiding the monster she was behind the mask she had created, which I think is the key to being a successful, what did you want, pedo. Pedo. Pedophile. Ricky Gervais says in his special. Okay. So uh, the situation at home for Mary Kay is that she and her husband are fighting because he is not a child and she is a pedophile. No, that's not why they're fighting. We don't know why they're fighting, but that's probably an underlying Because current. he's an adult and yeah. has actual opinions. And, and is demanding things of her than an adult would. Right. Right. And she doesn't want to do those things. Her mother won't help her. We don't get any details of this story. Again, it's all coming from her friend Michelle, who hates her mother. Her mother won't help her financially. The finances are a disaster. He's working as a baggage handler at night at SeaTac. She's working as a school teacher at what sounds like a financially challenged school. In October of 1995, she learns that her father is dying of cancer and her husband isn't sympathetic. That's about as much specifics as we're given. Again, I, d- I don't want to come down as some Steve Letourneau fan. I don't know enough about the man, but what I'm saying is I don't know enough about the man after this special, and he seems like one of the victims in this. He is one of the victims yeah. in this, so there doesn't there isn't any seeming about he may be a complete sack of shit and a worthless, unambitious lump of attractive, albeit attractive, <laughs> flesh, but not, you know, not worth much. And he is still a victim in this and has every reason to be as outraged as anybody. And who knows what his relationship to the father was after the father had behaved so reprehensibly yeah. to his own family, let yeah. alone um, who knows else. 1995. So Villy has been out of Mary Kay's class for several years. They met in second grade, and now in sixth grade, she is his teacher again. He's 12. 12 years He's old. He's 12, but people start talking about him like, well, now he'd hit puberty, and he was a different young man. And I'm like, he's 12. Like, what do you, okay, maybe, but Just Jesus Christ. about hit the floor. I mean, the second grade flipped me out, but 12 is like, that's it? He's 12? And this is where the grooming you described really starts to happen. She's keeping a group of kids after class. She's confiding in them about her bad marriage because that's what you tell 12-year-olds. Yeah, that's that's an appropriate thing to have. Um, and they, Billy and Mary, begin to write each other poems and notes. And she writes him one that said, first of all, they show the notes on screen. And it's like, what was she, what was she teaching these kids? Because it wasn't English grammar and syntax. Because they were, their, the notes were, bare, they were gross, but they were barely coherent. Your bones are the strength of a Samoan god, she writes him. He's a 12-year-old boy. Uh-huh. She starts taking him on quote-unquote cultural trips into Seattle to see Sounds art just galleries. just like the pedophile from, yeah. from earlier. Dude, that's, that's exactly what he did earlier. You know, he was just a man, you right. know. All right. The Myers, the neighbors who have described Villy in glowing terms, also now start describing him as a streetwise and not a normal boy. 
Uh, he testifies later that he bet his cousin $20 that he could, quote, bone his teacher, which is the sort of shit young boys do all the time. And <laughs> So what? It doesn't mean it's justified to abuse them. And it doesn't, yes, it doesn't change the law. Yeah. May of 96, Mary takes Billy out to, for dessert at a restaurant called Huckleberry's, which looks like it's a chain in the Pacific Northwest. They sit in the car and they have their first kiss. Steve is still working nights. The kids in her house would go to bed, and Mary and Billy would stay up for hours on the couch and perform sexual acts on each other. Rumors and gossip start to spread at school. He's 12 He's years 12. old. Some of his classmates think Billy is lying just to get attention. If only. June 19th, 1996, Dave Shields is working as a security officer at the Des Moines Marina. Again, this is not Des Moines, Iowa. I know we had a Canadian-Texas issue Canadian, last week. Texas. We're actually closer to the Canadians now yeah. that we're in Seattle, and but we're much further away from Iowa. So this is a marina with a parking area where a lot of young people like to park and fool around in their cars. And on his normal round, he sees brake lights pumping, and then he sees a van start to back up. He thinks it's a drunk driver. He walks behind the van and stops them and calls the cops. The cops find Mary and Billy. You want to say it? He's 12. He's 12 years old. In the back of the van in a makeshift bed. They call Billy's mother and she says, Because oh, he's 12. It's fine. She's fine. He's with Mary. Give him back to Mary. She, she'll watch out for him. And the cops think, well, there's no cause for arrest. We called the mother. The mother says it's okay for these two people to be together in a bed in the back of a van at night in a marina parking lot. Because she trusts Mary. Nobody notifies the school. Um, And I would say because they evaded consequences at this point, their activities dramatically accelerated. The brazenness of their activities accelerated. I guess. I mean, this was already pretty brazen. Yeah. And they're... Having she's having an affair with a twelve year old, so I'm not sure what you do that's more brazen. But, but yeah, they continue to have sex with each other is the main thing, and you know the clock is ticking. She calls Michelle and tells her, "I've met a student who is my soulmate," and Michelle thinks the, the friend who looks like Natalia. The student is nineteen or twenty, and she has no idea that he's twelve. 12. He's begun staying the night at her house. He's befriended her four kids. He's insinuated himself into her life, or she's insinuated him into her life. She's incorporated him into her life. So now all of her children and her husband and everybody else is her victim. And then her husband finds the love letters they've been sending each other. Because that's the sort of thing you want to keep in your drawer at the house that you share with your husband and four children. He goes over to Billy's house and asks him, are they having an affair? Are you having an affair with my wife? And he admits it. Because he's 12. And a grown-up asked him. February 25th, 1997, a family member of Mary Kay's husband calls the police to report what's going on. So Steve found out what was going on and didn't go to the police. I guess he told Mary Kay to end it, or he thinks, he, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to put a stop to this. I have no idea, but I think we are at the beginning of the problem with Mary Kay Letourneau, which is the inability for anybody, most especially Mary Kay, to see what she's doing accurately. Mm -hmm. 
because she is a hot babe that guys would like to sleep with. They think that this is about that, and it's not a yeah. crime. It's, it's not crime. her raping this child, which yeah. is actually what's legally what's happening. The King County Sheriff's Office talks to Billy. He confirms the affair. Mary Kay is removed and arrested for rape of a child. Because they're not confused at the no. police department. And then comes the bombshell. I guess. Mary Kay is pregnant with Billy's child. He is 13 years old at this point, and he is now a father of a baby he has sired with a grown woman. We meet Mary Kay's attorney. <laughs> and D- still in sixth grade. David Gierke, uh, Mary Kay's attorney. Mary Kay thinks she can mount a defense that Villy and her are in love and Villy wanted it and she didn't force himself on her. And the attorney has to be the one to tell her that doesn't matter when it comes to consent. <laughs> this is that's this is how statutory rape works. And people there seems to be a confusion. There certainly she continues to persist in this belief that because it's love. It, it can't matter. possibly be rape. And it's like, yeah. no, until somebody is of the age of consent, it's rape. That's it. Period. The end. No other discussion. It, there are no loopholes or clauses about love. Yeah. And she tells her friend Michelle over and over again she didn't know it was against the law. And she thought it was a moral issue and not a criminal Tough issue. Tough shit. Yeah. Still a crime. At this point, Mary Kay says to somebody that Steve is getting physical with her. Hmm. Okay. Convenient. She alleges that he punched her in the stomach and drove into her with his car. Steve denies all wrongdoing. When the cops show up, they find no evidence of this on which to arrest Steve. I would say if he ran into her with his car, they would have found some evidence. I tend to think so. Yeah. Um, May 29th, 1997, she gives birth to a baby girl named Audrey. Yes. And Steve and the kids leave for Alaska after yeah. he, she falsely accuses him of abusing her. Right. That's the... Just prior to the birth. So they're gone by yeah. the time the child is born. Mary Kay's life has completely gone off the rails. The house is headed for foreclosure. Michelle flies up to visit her and says it's like a pigsty, that she's um, complete. She's under a court order not to see Billy. She's been told she can stay out of jail until she has the baby. And I think to do that, they delay her sentencing. She's going to plead guilty. There's not going to be a trial. Um, but she gives birth to this baby, and then she has to go in and plead guilty to raping a child in the second degree. The prosecutor asks for seven years in jail, um, but there is also the possibility that she could be sentenced as a treatable sex offender, which would mean she only serves several months. And it, this is called the Special Sex Offender Sentencing Alternative, or SOSA. The detective on the case makes the point that you made earlier, Eric Sharquin, with which I agree, is that she groomed Villy just like a typical predator did. Absolutely. You know? Um, she is evaluated by a forensic psychotherapist named Michael Compte, who says she romanticizes the victim, which is a significant feature with sex offenders. Sure. She uses, I really loved him as a conscious justification for violating the law. Which is so what? She turned him in her, in her mind into someone who wasn't a child but was capable of consenting to a relationship. And she was essentially superimposing adult qualities onto Villy that he did not possess. She turned him into the perfect man in her head. He also shares with her that she was seven or eight years old when she was sexually abused by a family member herself. She was required to perform oral sex on several occasions, and the abuse only ended when she complained of pain. 
Michelle says early on in their friendship, she shared this with Michelle. She corroborates this story. Michelle's opinion is that time is not the great healer of sexual abuse. As people get older, they act out more and more. Not a therapeutic, not an opinion there coming from a psychiatrist on the topic of sexual abuse. And I abuse, would say I would be interested to ask Michelle, since she says that they shared it in common, that they were both abused as children, how is Michelle acting out based on her yeah. abuse as a child? Is she raping children? Or no. yeah. I don't think so. Like, right. it's once again, it's like, you may have been abused, but making the choice to be an abuser is still within your power. Right. I, there, like, like we talked about on the the, the Saint Drag the Saint George episode mm-hmm. two episodes ago. Um, Vanity Fair Confidential. It, yeah, yeah, the Vanity Fair Confidential thing. It, it, it is a question of I don't know what the causality of the mania is, but it, this is about mental illness. It's not about love or mm-hmm. affection or but we really mean it or soulmates or anything else. Like if you're told is something is against the law and you just keep doing it, then there is something wrong with that. Mm-hmm. That is a mental defect of some sort. I assume some sort of mental illness, but I don't know. I'm not a psychologist and neither is Michelle. I have my own theory, which I'll wait to share until ah. the end. I mean, I sort of have alluded to it as we've talked about other cases like this. But November 14th, 1997, at sentencing, the lawyer makes Mary Kay apologize for her actions. She makes a tearful speech saying, I did something that I had no right to do morally or legally, and I'm sorry. We'll see. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So in November 1997, Mary gets the sentencing that she is hoping for. She is sentenced as a treatable sex offender, which means she will not serve jail time. Um, She will have to go to uh, treatment on a regular basis. Uh, The lawyer thinks he's done the right thing, and then he immediately goes to the bathroom in the courtroom and is verbally assaulted by somebody who accuses him of getting a rapist off. Mm. Um. One of the detectives said if Mary was a man, she would have gotten the death penalty. Oh, my God. It's absolutely the truth. Um, her husband, however, is glad that she doesn't go to jail. 
Maybe there's some hope there that she'll be a mother to the and kids they have. And she still has four children, yeah. right? Mom doesn't need to be in jail. Like, he doesn't necessarily have to have her there all the time, but still, Jesus. But she must agree not to have contact with the victim in any shape or form, and she must meet her therapist twice weekly for a minimum of three years. And we meet the therapist, Marsha Macy, and Just, boy. This, was the, this is who I wanted to hear from. She says that everyone she has treated views themselves as the victim. Every sex offender Every that she sex has offender. ever treated thinks that they're the victim. And guess what Mary Kay Letourneau thinks she is? The victim. Right. She thinks society is too uptight, that they were genuinely in love. Um, she also doesn't take the treatment seriously. She's never on time for an appointment. Uh, she's often 45 minutes late. She made a mockery of the program. And Marsha did not believe she had an investment in not reoffending. And she thought there was no way this boy would ever escape her. And guess what? <laughs> he didn't. Michelle, her friend in Orange County, gets called by a colleague of Mary Kay's who tells her that she thinks Mary Kay is seeing Billy again. And then on February 3rd, 1998. Fee 3rd, 1998. I left out the B. Fee, it's the Latin Early February. Fe. It's Latin February. Early Fe. Fe 3. Fe 3, 1998, she's caught seeing Billy. She's caught in a parked car. With the windows steamed up. Windows steamed up. She's wearing basically a baggy T-shirt. She tries to sweet talk her way out of it. I don't know how she thought that was going to work. Well, I'm it's how she's led her whole life. Yeah. Um, she's placed under arrest. They get her passport. They get $6,000 in cash so and they some were baby planning clothes. planning to... Leave town together. Leave the country. They were going to yeah. become the Canadians. David, her attorney, is awakened by his wife, and he's distraught. He's sobbing as he tells us this story. Because he thought he was doing the right thing, and yeah. here we are back right where we started from. The suspended sentence is revoked, and she is sent to jail for seven and a half years. And that wasn't long enough. Somebody says, I can't, I wrote it in the notes as a quote, but any of them could have said it. There was not a person who knew Mary Kay who was close to her who she did not hurt. She and Michelle never speak again after she goes to prison. And then we meet my two favorite people of the back to school oh, sequence. They are pretty great. They are. If they're and not they're, a couple, they're, they're not, they should they're be. never described as that. They're the, just these two of her of Mary Kay's fellow inmates from jail turn up and they're they're all groomed and polished and living in Palm Springs and they need their own podcast they are they great tell the fucking truth I'm about this story and everything else I'll bet and they describe what it was like when Mary Kay comes into jail because guess what Mary Kay is pregnant again and they find out that she had sex with him knowing that she was fertile, that she was trying to get pregnant with this child uh -huh. again. So on October 16th, 1998, she gives birth. The baby goes to live with Billy's mother. Poor Billy's mother, who was working several jobs to support him, is now having to take care of these children that Mary Kay just keeps passing to her from jail. Not to mention the ones she keeps fucking. Yeah. The other inmates say Mary felt that the rules were meant for others. She's providing breast milk for the baby, and then in the tops of the little container, she's hiding love notes for Villy. And when the jail finds that out, they, these two women claim that they put her in solitary confinement for five months, which was apparently illegal. You were only supposed to be in there for no more than 30 days. But as they say, they did what they wanted with Mary. And that seems fine with me. 
The original therapist who evaluated her, Michael, says the risk of consequences did not measure up to her need to have Billy in her life. That's because she's insane. And addicted. This is a compulsion. Absolutely. It has nothing to do with love or anything else. This is a mental illness. Billy appears on the Today Show and says he has had suicidal thoughts about being separated from her. God, poor child. August 4th, 2004, Mary Kay is released. Billy is now 21, and he hopes to persuade a judge to legally permit his relationship because there's a lifetime no-contact order in place. The judge grants the wish, and they get married. May 20th, 2005. Completely destroying the rest of that young man's life. They get married at a winery in Washington State, and they sell the exclusive rights to Entertainment Tonight for a million fucking dollars. And this is when the inmates said, the two women, what are their names? I got to recognize them. Christina Dress and Cheryl Brongel. They basically say exactly what I'm thinking, which is the only reason though she took it this far was to try to prove it was a legitimate relationship. Absolutely. And she was friends with these women, and she's, they went over to their house, and they said when we visited them, they were never in the same room. He was upstairs doing whatever the hell she wanted, and she was down in the kitchen and whatever. They, could, they didn't have anything in common. They had nothing to talk about. And I'm like, there it is. There's the truth. It was not a marriage. They didn't even continue having children. Yeah. Like, they didn't get after two wham-bam pregnancies. No further children. No further nothing. They were cohabitating. She had the money from the, um, she bought a house near where the one she got evicted from was, within sight of the dock where they first got busted Mm -hmm. having sex. She she wanted to set that up so she could rub it in the faces of everybody who'd accuse her as proof that it really was love right. and it wasn't just her raping a child. But once he wasn't a child anymore, she obviously wasn't all that interested. 2011, they go on the Today Show together as a couple, and Meredith Vieira, who was the host at the time, asks them what they have in common. And, and then she tries to kill Mary Kay. They're, she doesn't, but that's what she should have done. They're comically unable to answer there's like a pause, and then they say, we both love music. It reminded me of the moment from Best in Show with Jennifer Coolidge that everybody talks about when she's sitting next to her 80-year-old sugar daddy, and they say, what do you have in common? And she says, we both like snow peas. <laughs> like it was that bad. <laughs> Billy becomes a DJ, and the bar has a hot for teacher night, and Mary goes. Because that's seemly. Okay. And finally... He files for separation or divorce, and then he withdraws it. And when Mary passes away from colon cancer, they're still married, and he's with her at the end and allegedly heartbroken. And that is the end of my notes about this deep dive into the disgusting. Oh, my God. What a disgusting human being. Like, I, the, he finally escaped from her. Yes. Like, she died, and he's finally free. I hope that that child has been able to begin to rebuild some semblance of a life for himself after what that monster did to him. And Mm -hmm. I don't care if she looked like that and I don't care if people were congratulating him for getting a piece of that or whatever else. The reason that the law is written the way that it is is because of course a teenage boy will sleep with you. They're overrun with their um, their hormones and all they want to do is ejaculate. Like Mm -hmm. that's all they can really conceive of at that point in their lives, which is why they are not allowed to make 
those kinds of decisions for themselves. Consent is about consent. It's mm-hmm. about having the adult ability to make those kinds of decisions for yourself. And she denied it him. If she had truly loved that child, she would have waited until he was 21 to pursue it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she didn't love him at all. She just wanted what she wanted. And everything else was the least connected to love well, of legally. anything I could possibly even see. And Against the law. she if Legally, she could have waited until he was 18. In some states, it's 17 for boys. I don't know. Like, she couldn't even wait that long. No. I mean, the, the thing 12. That, 12 years old. This is the thing that I see in what she did. I don't think it's any different than Jeffrey Dahmer's professed fantasy that he wanted a sexual partner who was basically a doll. No that difference. couldn't talk back to him, that couldn't contradict him, with which there were no real human stakes that anybody would deal with in an adult relationship. This is an obsessive desire to control, and she had it, and I think it's why she picked that boy. I And I think this is directly connected to the fact that this was an individual who used her looks her entire life to get men to do what she wanted. And as she began to age and be judged by a different set of standards, she couldn't control her husband the way she thought she was going to be able to. So she found a victim in this little child that she could be this false authority figure for, that she could use maternal affection to sort of overpower and seduce and control. And I think that is equivalent to a man who uses brute physical force to hold down a younger victim and force himself on them. I just think... Everything she did was, was as you pointed out, she is a predator. This was predatory behavior. Absolutely. And, this is rape. This is just rape. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, your point is really well taken about who would Billy have grown up to be if this woman did not take over his life the in thing this that way. What touched me the most in yeah. the whole special was who, I don't even know who said it, but it was just who might he have turned out to be if this horrible human being hadn't come into what his life? What happened to his art? What happened to his sketches? We never heard about those again. You know, we never... Right, he's like this sort of stoner DJ guy who's kind of limping through. Like I say, I hope that finally escaping her through her death, that he is able to begin to build some kind of life for himself because it's clear it didn't exist before. He's still got two children um, that he's going to have to deal with, but... But I hope that he does a better job with them. I, I got to tell you, nothing in the special made me as angry as the thought of Billy's poor mother, who was already working all those jobs, having to take care of these babies of of Billy's and Mary Kay's while Mary Kay went to jail. Well, you the know? only thing, if anything, did make me angrier was thinking of her four actual children having to deal with this yeah. as a part of their life. Absolutely. I, I just, just can't, can't imagine. Terrible. And, and, and the depiction of the... I, you know, like maybe there's something yet to surface about the husband or something that wasn't included in the special. But at the same time, I just thought starting off by describing him as some lughead, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I think there's some other perpetrators in the story we want to get to first before we start to go all in on the poor husband who didn't actually abuse a child. Well, like I say, I think that is an effort that was part of her effort to try and describe for herself, probably, the reason that Mary Kay would make such hideous choices because— the choices are so incomprehensible to those of us who are not actually insane right. that it's that it's hard to really come up. And I think we all have that tendency. Like mental illness is something I would guess that you're not able to fully comprehend unless you're actually mentally ill. And then being mentally ill, you may not comprehend it because you're mentally ill. But but I can't really understand 
the thinking behind, say, schizophrenia. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I can't understand what that would be like at all. Mm-hmm. And try, so I, in my rational mind, try and come up with a way to explain it or describe it. And that becomes the sort of stories, the sort of the Sybil stories mm-hmm. or the those kinds of stories where we try and explain the insane behavior as a result of comprehensible stuff. But I don't know that it necessarily has to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she could just be crazy. Right, yeah. Like, this may be a brain defect or a chemical imbalance or maybe a childhood head injury or I have no idea what it produced this kind of behavior, but... It is clearly the the act of an insane person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so I think Michelle was trying to describe that for herself or rationalize that for herself by blaming Steve, which is I think often the case with any sort of crime. Well, it's the you know the well, husband yeah. had really she been there. She was scrambling. For her. You're right. As, as you said, she was scrambling. And I think as we always get to when we talk about these types of stories, if you're gonna posit that theory, you then have to deal with all of the people who were falsely blamed for a sibling's death by an angry parent who did not grow up to abuse children themselves. I mean, I think it's like there is something specific here, but I think there there is an addiction to worship. There is an addiction to adoration. And it's a question of degree, And that's right? a really interesting point with her. It's a, it's a question of degree. Even the picture of her attending hot for teacher night at the mm-hmm. end, looking all dolled up and just reveling in the attention, like... The, the idea of that still connected her to the idea of getting that worship from that vulnerable Absolutely. young man. Absolutely, of having being, somebody young and yeah. and and still vibrant, being still thinking she's fabulous and all that. Yeah. I just think that's, you know, a part of her own mania, her own insanity. I have to say, I think this is one of the more disturbing ones we've ever done. I know I say that a lot, but there was something about this. It was so upsetting. I yeah. was so upset by the time I got to the end of it. It really was almost disorienting Yeah. in terms of, because it was so, I, if you've had the experience, I've had the experience, let me just say, from my own life, of having a friend or somebody who I considered a friend who was a pathological liar. Mm-hmm. And... He was charming and fun, and I was quite fond of him. But he would lie about everything, even stuff there was no need to lie about. And he would lie about stuff that I was actually a part of, like how Mm. a circumstance had gone in a situation that I was actually a part of. And it, it got to the point in dealing with him where I was like, am I just not remembering this correctly? Am I just that... I, I guess it's part of the, the sort of grooming technique. You, having somebody just consistently insist to you mm-hmm. that a lie is the truth yeah, right. is disorienting. and Gaslighting is what they call it. Yes, yeah. that's what this was was like. She just would not let go of this narrative of, but this is really love. But mm-hmm. I'm really, no, we're really in love with each other. See, we're going to get married. It's going to be on entertainment tonight. We're going to live together in this beautiful house on the beach in Seattle. Like, it's, it's really love. It's really love. It's really love. It's really love it's really love it's really love and it just it just threw me off like you're and right to choose why, those, yeah those that's why it was so refreshing when they came in and they were like they had nothing in common they didn't even talk to each other they just took it as long as they did to, to try to prove that it wasn't a pedophilia relationship and you know? it clearly was yeah, it was all right well that's the end of back to school month or be- the back to but school it's also sequence. the conclusion of our 200th, 200th episode, episode. 
which I think is worth talking about. It's worth taking like, fuck Mary Kay Letourneau or don't. Don't. Particularly if you're 12 years old. Yes, Um, please. She's dead, so we don't have to worry about that monster anymore. One less monster on the planet. But we started, this is such a complete fluke that we do this anyway Mm -hmm. is such a fluke and that we're 200 episodes in just kind of cracks me up. Do you remember coming in here after we hadn't been in the studio for forever just to kind of see how it would go to sort of experiment with what it would be like Mm -hmm. and what if and whatever. And well, we didn't, when we recorded the first episode, I don't think we even had the, you came up with the idea for true crime TV club after that. You were like, later, we can't just talk. We gotta, we gotta talk about something. We can't just chat. We had an idea that we were going to talk about. We were both at, at, at Paramount and we were Mm -hmm. both working on that version of, Uh, The Vampire Chronicles, and then that didn't work out. But our idea was we would have backstage chat and talk about our production experience, and none of that came to fruition. And so we had started the podcast by then, and it was like, so what do we talk about? And we were both already huge fans of at least Dateline, but Mm -hmm. true crime uh, was something we both loved, particularly, I, for me— the trashiest possible. You like the trashy. I love trashy true crime TV shows. I just am crazy about them. Christopher is I like a emotional, more, moody, and atmospheric. That's my jam. More, yeah, he is a bit yeah, more of a more dateline. Yeah, about about him. Although I would consider Dateline in the trashy uh, category. So trashy adjacent. You have more in common with me adjacent. than you might be willing to admit. But you okay. like wives with knives. I oh can't my stand god, that I shit. just love that shit. And the worst, the reencrapment. I'm no, just. I hate those. But yeah. it would just seemed like the perfect fit for us. And yeah. then True Crime TV Club was just because it seemed like a book club was the way to go with us because we're both writers, but this was a way that it could be a TV show club yes, absolutely. where we all watch the same show and then we all talk about it, which mm-hmm. I just love. I think that's yeah. such a great idea. And we're still not the number one true crime podcast in the world, and I don't know why that is. So get to work, all of you. Listen harder. I don't know well, what you would do. I don't know what you would do. I, I think you leave a – I don't know what the fu- – it changes what you do, but like we do – we enjoy doing what we do. We have fun. Because we love watching true crime TV shows and talking about them. And we talk about other stuff sometimes, too. But this month, all we talked about was true crime. We did a whole month of true. This is our first. This is my prediction. This is my prediction. As we as we move towards the end of the calendar year, we're going to we're going to lighten up a bit as we head towards the holidays. Are we? Well, we've done some dark shit. I have to say, (laughs) I didn't realize this was going to be as dark a month as it turned out to be. I didn't either, but I realized, oh God, back to school, and so many of the true crime stories, if they're not about mass shootings, are about abusive children at school, and it was just so rough. I I mean, the St. George's one was rough. It made perfect sense, but it was still very hard to hear and to talk about. Yeah. Um, So that's my prediction. Sometimes my predictions don't come to pass, but we'll see. We will see what we'll maybe for next week we'll look for something well, a little lighter too. We are I we actually do know something we're doing next month. I realize we're going to be doing uh the documentary series Last Call which was on <laughs> Well, um, that'll really lighten things up. <laughs> So we're not lightening up. No, not us. Not even a little bit. This is yeah. Christopher who said he was going to write a comic novel. And I said, in which hunt thousands die due to the confluence of dark forces. And you said, yeah, something oh, like that. Much. Like your favorite show, Deadlock. That Deadlock, you were about. which was really a spine-tingling 
hideous serial killer investigation yeah. that was incredibly funny. So, yeah, maybe we're not qualified to do much But lighter. that's just one episode next month. Last call. We're going to do the whole series. It's that's four episodes. episodes. Oh, month. we're doing it in two episodes. Okay. <laughs> so the other episodes are going to be The Shoe Bandit and The Butterfly Thief. I just made those up. I don't know who they are, but they sound light. He stole butterflies because he wanted them to be free. We're also going to be observing, in a small way, yes. the, the, the anniversary of... Um, Billy Newton's death, yes. and uh, you know, with some brief discussion, not an in-depth, but I, well, you know, it's coming is, up, and we definitely, closed. we definitely yeah. want to talk about it because, out of respect for and yeah. and an acknowledgement of the fact that we were in a small way, I hope, um, helpful in getting yes. some justice for Billy and for his family. Absolutely. But for now, this is the ready for the special effect two hundredth episode. <laughs> So exciting. Love of that sound Christopher effect. Christopher and Eric. <laughs> Until then and Present forever Christopher after. Christopher and Eric. Talking about Christopher and Eric. Buy our books. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thank you. Times 200. This is TDPS.